So we're kind of continuing in our intentional evangelism series uh, called Less, and we are in the first S, which means, uh, which is serve with love. So we've gone through begin with prayer, listen, and eat together, and now we're in serve with love. And the final S uh, next week will be share your story. This acronym is just a way to kind of go through five missional practices of a church, five practices that the body of Christ does to help people or to reach out to people or to be a witness to people to the love of Christ, to discipleship in Jesus. So we're talking about evangelism, but we're also taking a new look at that word evangelism. For a lot of us, it can be a scary word, the E word. Um, no, we do this in community and, we, and it's very easy because the Holy Spirit and God goes before us uh, the Holy Spirit is in charge and has been working in people around us. We only have to say yes. We only have to participate. We only have to um, say, love, share, and speak, and listen. And, and God is doing the rest. And uh, he's working in this community. He's working outside this church. Amen? Amen. Um, so, John, this is uh, part of Jesus' famous farewell discourse. So it's the last meal, it's the Passover festival, and it's the last meal that he's sharing with the disciples before he's arrested and will be crucified. And so he says everything he wants to say, everything that he deems important to say to his disciples before he goes away. And so just imagine if you were leaving this earth, or imagine if you were saying farewell to your friends or family, the ones that you loved. What are the things that you would say to your friends and family. And this is Jesus' farewell discourse. And so it's really rich, it's packed. And in the other uh, Gospels, in the other three Gospels, what do you get um, during this, this Passover feast, this meal, this Last Supper? What you get is communion meal, right? Jesus that breaks the bread, shares the wine, and does what we, what we do um, once a month here every noon is share the Eucharist, share communion. But the Gospel of John is kind of a maverick, kind of different, in that sense, he doesn't do the communion meal, he doesn't break the bread or drink of the wine, uh, but he washes the disciples' feet. And that's what John chooses to focus in on. I love the anomaly in everything, and so this foot washing episode um, interests me greatly um, because Jesus uh, makes a point of saying, do what I do, right? Just as I have washed your feet, wash one another's feet and love one another. And you will be blessed if you do this. And all of our ears should prick up, right? If you do this, you will be blessed. Wash one another's feet, right? Very simple. My command to you is do like I do. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. Right? Now the question is, what does washing feet mean? And that's what we're going to break down here. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. 
What makes someone truly confident? What makes someone truly confident? It's a question. And, uh, you know, just looking back at my own life, uh, what are the things that make me confident? And, you know, young man confidence, uh, a lot of machismo, you know, I went through a lot of phases of machismo or showing off, being tough in order to impress people. If you go further back to the elementary days, you like a, a girl or something like that, you pretend like you're mean to them because you like them, right? So you cover up how you're really feeling by doing the opposite, right? And, you know, a lot of young, immature men and boys are like that. We cover up our insecurities by puffing up, right? You see it in nature, too, like male birds puff up their feathers and like puff up their chests, blowfish oil. Like, puff up. And little boys do that too. I'm bigger than what I feel like inside. I'm better than what I think I am, right? Confidence. And I used to tell, you know, I tell my son Isaiah, there's a big difference between confidence, true confidence, and cockiness, right? You guys know the difference, right? You can tell the difference between someone, a, a man who's cocky versus a man who's confident, right? Yes. The man who is cocky, is brash, is loud, you know, shows up, maybe drives one of those fancy cars and has to turn up their speakers that they paid hundreds of dollars for and they're bumping at the intersection, boom, boom. And you're like, come on. Like, I don't care about, I don't wanna to listen to your music or how much bass that you have. It's like, boom, boom, boom. They have their half low and they look at you. Yeah, like you wanna race at the signal, I'm like, I don't want to race. Like, that doesn't give me any, that doesn't feed me. Uh, if I beat you, that doesn't mean anything. Wow, you have a fast car, right? That's cockiness, right? Or, or they got, you know, teenage kids, or you're like, hey, how's it going? You're like, what's up? What's up? Right? You're too cool to care, right? That's cockiness. They're like, I can do that, you know? I can do whatever you give to me. Confidence is, right? There's just a silent, doesn't have to speak loudly or act brashly, rashly in order to prove um, that they are made up of something or that they have to show the world, man, this is me. There's a difference between cockiness and confidence. So what makes a person, a man or a woman, truly confident? And I would propose to you is a strong sense of identity, right? Two things, a strong sense of identity and a strong sense of purpose, right? You know who you are and you know what you're about. That's what makes you confident. If you know who you are, if you know what you're about, it doesn't matter what people say. Oh, you're this or you're that or you're never going to do this or you don't amount to anything or you're to this or you're to that. It doesn't matter because you already know who you are. You already have those voices locked in, the positive voices that say, you are beautiful, you are strong, you are amazing, you are gifted, you are talented, you are tall, you are a child of God, you are beloved. Amen? Right? That's identity. You belong to Jesus. And you're decisive because you're like, I know I was made for this. 
I know I'm called to this. Or this is what makes me passionate in life. This is the work of my life, and I, I'm built for this. So this is what I know I'm supposed to do. This is what gives me joy. This is what gives me happiness. This is my purpose. And so when something else comes along to tempt you away from that purpose, you're like, no! Right? I know what I'm about. I know what I'm doing. So what gives someone, what makes someone truly confident, right, is identity and purpose. And this is what we see in these first few verses. Just key on Jesus knew, right? What did Jesus know? Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to go, right? And he knew that he would, what, what he was supposed to do in this world is to love his, his people, his disciples. But he knew that eventually he would go to the Father and that the time had come for him to go to the Father. But while he was on earth, he loved his people and he loved them to the end. That's his purpose. Jesus knows his purpose and his mission. And he knows the timing of it all. He's not like, no, God, I'm not ready. I'm not going to go away. Right? I still have stuff to do. Me and Peter, we like going fishing together. I want to give that up. Right? No, Jesus is like, it's time. The time has come. And he, it also demonstrates that he was faithful. He loved his own. And he loved them the very end. Right? His purpose. He knew his purpose and he was faithful to that purpose. And second, the second part, what else did Jesus know? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Right? Jesus knew his identity. He knew that he was God's. He knew that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. And he knew that God had given him all the authority, had put all authority under him. And you, if you just watch the news and you watch all the controversies, all the, the trials and the investigations that are happening these days, all the women that are coming up and saying, this this person abused, this man abused his power and assaulted me. And you see leader after leader coming out, right? Having to resign, having to this or that because of some sort of misconduct or lack of integrity, right? Or some sort of taking advantage of their power. And you're like, why does this happen? Right? Why are our leaders so messed up? And the church isn't immune from that. Right? There are stories and stories and news stories of pastors of large churches or small churches who misappropriate funds or who abuse those under them. Story after story of the abuse of power. And you're like, why? We trust these people. Shouldn't people who are elevated to positions of power and authority, shouldn't they be there because they have great character? They have integrity, right? They are beyond, above reproach. Why are they falling left and right? 
And it's because those little girls and those little boys never grow up. Right? We never grow up. We never know truly our identity, whose we are, who we belong to. And so we fight and we struggle for power and status and respect to gain the upper hand because we're insecure in our position. We're insecure with what we really have. But true confidence comes from knowing your identity and knowing your purpose. And so when we get to verse 4, look at that so, right? And you could say the so, of course, it points to he's going to leave and he knows he's going to leave. So he decided to demonstrate his love for his disciples. But I like to see it also as so, right? He knew about his identity. He knew about his purpose. And he was confident in that. So he chose to serve, right? He chose to lower himself because it wasn't a threat to him. How many people, we all struggle with this, right? Whether it's at school or in our workplace, right? We struggle with respect or we struggle with our value in that place, right? If someone, an underling, someone who's less experienced or hasn't been at work for as long as we are, or maybe they're uh, like lower than us on the totem pole, offers a suggestion or says, maybe, or tells, directs us in some way. For me, there's always some, you know, there's always something in me like, don't tell me what to do, right? Shut up, right? And you want to stomp, stomp on them. You little ant, I've been here for so long. You can't teach me. But Jesus knew who he was and he had true confidence, right? Can you imagine God, Jesus is God, and God was going to be humiliated and crucified and spit on and lowered and laughed at. And he just faced that, he faced it with confidence. And so he got up from his meal and took off his outer clothing. And he kneels down. And you know, and in those days, it's a, again, a hospitality culture. People would come visit houses and dine and, and eat. And because they wore sandals back then, and it, the area was more arid, desert, sand, right? And the sandals, they, don't, they didn't have Nikes or Adidas or what is it, what's another shoe clogs? Uh, what are those? Dance goes or um, Uggs. There was no Uggs, right? Or no like Timberlands to protect your feet from the, the moist Seattle dirt and the soil out there. They just had sandals. And so you can imagine that feet got really dirty. Right? I don't wear my feet. I don't wear socks. Right? I don't wear socks when I wear my shoes. But you can imagine that people always say, why don't you wear socks, right? Doesn't your feet start to stink? Don't you ruin your shoes? 
And yes, my shoes get really smelly, especially my athletic shoes. But I, I, I have a lot of techniques to clean my shoes. Like I freeze them in the freezer. I, every month I wash them in the laundry. I spray like, or I put gold bonds powder in there. I athlete's foot spray, because like it kills bacteria. Um, I microwave my shoes sometimes. It kills the germs, because it's the germs that are smelling. All of these things, um, coffee grounds, um, dryer, fabric softener. Um, I put a lot of things in my shoes because I like to feel my shoes. I like my, my toes like to feel things, and especially when I'm running, and I, socks just feel stuffy to me. And like, I like my ankles showing. I don't like any socks showing. But the no-show the no socks always just slip off your heel. And it annoys me, and I always have to like, pick it up. So I haven't found any no-show socks that don't like roll under your heel. So I just go sockless. That's all to say that I go sockless, and I'm off track now. But feet get nasty when they're dirty, right? And I you have to pick the toe jam and like rub between your teeth, and like give it, and I go, Isaiah, come here, I got a surprise for you. Here, ah, right? So feet are nasty, so when, and these days, nastiness, right? You come from traveling, you come just from the day, and you come inside, and your feet are dirty, and they're funky, and there's toe jam, and there's sweat, and there's fungus, and they didn't have athlete's toe spray, and they didn't have gold bonds, medicated powder. They didn't have any of those things, and so the host would have to clean, wash your feet, right? A servant would do this. A servant would do this in the household. And it's not, it's not a pretty job, right? Just getting down, washing someone's feet. It's humiliating, it's humbling. And Jesus, knowing all of these things, so he took off his outer robe, which also is an act of humility and vulnerability and openness, right? He's, he's taking off his robe, he's taking off his jacket, his dress shirt, his tie, whatever it is. The pastor is taking off his frock and his right, robes. And he wraps the towel on his waist and he gets down lower. What did Jesus know? He knew his purpose and his identity. So he's free. He's free to love and he's free to serve. If we were more confident in our identity and our purpose, we wouldn't be getting into the power struggles that we do. Right? We would be free. We'd be free to love and we'd be free to serve. And this is the example that Jesus is setting. So Peter, he comes to, he's washing their feet, and Peter, Peter's always like the object lesson, right, in the gospel. Like, because he's very, like, out there. And we always knock Peter because he does stupid things. Ah, stupid Peter. But if Peter didn't do all those stupid things, Jesus wouldn't have his teaching moments. So we need to honor Peter for being out there. The people that are out there and make the mistakes. Maybe the extroverts or like the gregarious people out there who like learn from the mistakes. All of us introverts who like 
you know, calculate things before we act. We learn from the extroverts, right? Oh, don't do that, right? <laughs> and so that's a good thing. Uh, we should honor that in people. Peter's out there, and he says, and he's doing the kind of humble thing, right? Jesus, you're our master. You're our rabbi. Do you will not wash my feet. We should be washing your feet, right? This is upside down. This is no, right? You're the master. Let me wash your feet. No, no, no. Don't wash my feet. And Jesus replies, you need, to, you need to let me do this. Because if you don't let me do this, you're not with me. Right? You're not doing what I'm doing. I want to do this. And this in itself is a lesson, right? And it's a lesson in the reciprocity of love. Love and relationships is a dance. Does that make sense? You've heard it takes what to tango? It takes two to tango. Which means in order to dance, both, both parties need to be moving, giving and receiving, right? And in any relationship, there's a vulnerability, a permeability of your heart, right? And you've heard it's better to give than to receive. I think in our culture, our culture of independence, sometimes it's so much harder for us to receive. Is that true? Like if people want to serve me or offer me something, ah, what do we say? No, 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 that's okay. It's all good. Ah, no, 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 no. Hey, let me help you. Right? Which is weird because there are people who like, who want to give to you. Right? And actually when you receive something that someone is giving and you actually receive it with joy, that person feels good. Like you have allowed me to give to you. And when we reject, when we have a hard time receiving, it's, it's actually a heart issue, right? It's a pride issue, it's an independence issue. And I learned this way back because people used to compliment me. Oh, David, you look, yeah, your shirt looks nice. Or, oh, that was a great sermon, or whatever. Yeah. And I would go, no, 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 or thanks be to God. <laughs> like, something like, it's deflecting, but it, it sounds faithful, like, oh, it's all gone. You know, but actually it's like a deflection. And someone just said, just say thank you. When someone says that, say, oh, thank you. And see what difference it makes. So I started thinking, oh, hey, you look great today. Oh, thanks. I mean, I don't say, oh, thanks, I know. That's happiness, right? But like, oh, thank you. Or, or, oh, thanks, that means a lot to me. Thank you for noticing that. Thank you for saying that. And it, it does, it works way, it helps the relationship and the interaction way more, right? Because the person is wanting to compliment you and you're slapping their hand away when you say no or say, and deflect. It takes two to tangle. We need to have reciprocity in our relationships. We need to be able to both give and receive in order to deepen our interactions with people, in order to both bless and be blessed. Love requires a relationship of giving and receiving. We need to have more permeable membranes of our souls and hearts. And when Peter says, don't wash me, he's rejecting Jesus' act. And that's why Jesus responds the way he does. 
But the flip side is also true, right? Then Peter goes to the opposite extreme. Well, not my feet, wash my whole body too. And Jesus is like, we're not here to give baths. <laughs> right? He literally says, it's okay. We're not here to have a bath, right? Because you're already clean. And we can go into what, what this means. Basically, right? You're with me, right? And being with me, you're cleansed already. And you're saved. I've done, I've done the work. I'm, I, I've saved you. I've, I've, uh, I've made you right. right. I'm just here to clean your feet, serve you. This is the last part. And Jesus finally says, Do you understand what I've done for you in washing your feet? Right now that I, who you call Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, I've set an example, a model for you. And no, no servant is greater than the master. In doing this, I'm not saying you're better than lowering myself and humbling myself. I'm not saying you are now my master. That's not what this is about. What he's redefining greatness. Right? Actually, greatness is about loving and serving one another with love. That's what makes you great. And James and John are probably remembering all the conversations that they had arguing about who's the greatest disciple. Or, who, or Jesus, who will you allow us to sit on your right hand and your left hand? Who will sit on the right hand and the left hand of you? Right? And all the stuff that Jesus taught about greatness. Those who will be first will be last. Those who are last will be first. Jesus is redefining greatness. If you want to be great, if you want to be like a master, like me, a master of life, a leader of people, you need to serve. Right? And me serving doesn't make, doesn't lessen me in any way. Nothing is below you. And we say that, oh, that's below me. Nothing is below you. Now that you know these things, right? First of all, Jesus knew these things, so he did, the, did this. Now he's saying, now that you know this, what true greatness is, you also should wash one another's feet and love each other. Let go of the drama, people. Stop fighting for attention or control or status. Stop wrestling for respect. I know that's a big one, especially you men out there. Respect, right? Now that you know who you are, whose you are, and what your purpose is, it's not a big deal. It's not going to make you less. I'm God and I did this. So you got no excuse. <laughs> Jesus was spat on and had his clothes ripped and had like thorns placed on his head. 
right? and people spitting at him and mocking him. So we can't say, if Jesus has been there, we can't say, oh, I'm too good for that. Right? A lot of our identity and our purpose is that we're, we belong to Jesus and we're called to serve one another and wash one another's feet. So the question is, are you with me, church? Yeah. All right. Jesus sets the example. What are the dirty feet in our world? And, you know, a lot of people, when they do this passage or preach on it, you know, a lot of you are probably hoping, oh, I hope David doesn't have water basins up here and we're going to, like, wash each other's feet. I did not cut my toenails today. I did not wash my feet. My feet really stink. I'm not going to have us wash our feet literally up here. That's a good exercise. But when you think about it, we need to contextualize it as well, right? Really, what does that mean for us today to wash one another's feet, to serve? Does that make sense? What is the thing? So there's a lot of promptings that I want you guys to reflect on. And you can, if you have a journal, you can write these down. We'll take a moment of reflection. Or there's no cards. Uh, there may be no cards. Or you can even use a connection card. And just think about these questions and reflect on them. Um, the first one's more kind of like a, a philosophical question. Does servanthood have any merit or power in our culture today? Like in our culture today, do, is there any merit in serving? Or how do people respond when people do acts of service? Are they surprised? You know? Do they. Is it just commonplace? Is it a normal thing? And then, number two, where are the dirty feet around you? And inherently in this question, if Jesus is washing your feet, what the, how are your feet dirty? What does that mean? My feet are dirty because where are the dirty feet around you? And I think this passage uh, is a justice passage as well. Right? What are the dirty feet in our world? What are the injustices in our world? Where are people hurting in our world? Because oftentimes these are actually places we ignore, right? We don't want to look at the dirtiest places or the dirtiest people or the dirtiest issues in the church because it's messy, right? Or we don't want to, really, if you ask yourself, I don't want my car dirty by this person or I don't want to stoop down to this or I'm too, I don't have enough to give. Right? It's overwhelming. What are the injustices in the world? What are the things people don't like looking at? The things that are beneath us and not worth our time. Number three, when is it hard for you to serve? 
I can tell you it's hard for me to serve my kids on Saturday afternoon and evening and Sunday afternoon. I, like during the during the times that I'm prepping for Sunday on sun, Saturday and my kids are like, I'm hungry. Like there's something in me that's just like, no, like go to mom. Right? I'm doing something else. I don't want to serve. And then Sunday afternoon, I just want to like crash. And it's like, oh, you want something? <laughs> you know? um, when is it hard for you to serve? And number four, who is it hard for you to serve? Oh. <laughs> you know. So take some time to think about that and, and reflect on that. And if uh, the worship team can come up and if you can just play some music.